Isaiah chapter 36, if you open your Bibles with me. Apparently we're going to get some more winter weather this evening. Um, Thankful that you guys joined us. I'll try to move rapidly. For those of you that are looking at the screens and going, oh man, that's that's a ballpark, okay? If we have time, we'll do more. But um, that's the goal. Yeah, it's, i got to make that break. So I'm going to try to move rapidly through this section, but not leave detail out. So I won't, won't waste a lot of time with introduction, but some explanation is necessary. We left off a couple of weeks ago in the book of Isaiah, and we were reading about the day of the Lord, um, and those prophetic things, some that had happened and some that are yet to happen. But I'll remind you, when we began this study... I told you in the most basic sense, this book can be divided into two major sections. The first 39 chapters of this book kind of parallel our Old Testament, the 39 books in in the Old Testament. And if I had to give the first 39 chapters of this a theme to those prophecies, um, it would be judgment overall, judgment. And then once we get past chapter 39, And in the last section, the last 27 chapters of this book really parallel the 27 books that we have in the New Testament and largely speak to salvation and comfort, okay? So the four chapters I hope to go into tonight are really what you would call historical narrative. Um, So it's it's sort of a good break between those two sections. Can't see you, Jim. There we go. And... It very much parallels the historical account given in Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Second uh, Chronicles chapter thirty-two. If you want to check that out, Second Kings seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. Actually, let's take the time to do this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 20, thirty-seven, and then if you want to, you don't have to, but you can flip over to Second Kings chapter nineteen and compare those two chapters. I'll give you a minute to find it. But as you'll see, they are pretty much word for word identical. So Isaiah pretty much copied the history that we have from 2 Kings um, to give us the background of the things that he had just prophesied about in our previous chapters, the invasion of Israel, uh, the invasion of Judah by the surrounding nations, uh, specifically how Assyria was surrounding Jerusalem and had defeated the 40 villages around the city and now um, basically has Jerusalem under siege. Do you want to pull my volume down just a little bit? Sounds like it's echoing. So, um, how they were turned away, how they were unable to take the city of Zion. So all that history, okay, so we'll dig right in. Uh, chapter 36, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Shennacherib, son of Assyria, if it sounds like I'm pronouncing these wrong, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I may be. Came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh with, actually, notice what it says, the Rabshakeh. So this is actually a title and not a name. 
We don't know what this guy's actual name was, but this title means chief of princes, uh, what we might think of as the field commander in the Assyrian army. So uh, king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Verse 3 says, And Eliakim, the son of Hilkai, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, you ladies that are about to, well, I don't think there's any here, but about to give birth. These are some rare and unique names. May want to consider. Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in you which you trust? I say you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? If you remember, King Hezekiah and those in Judah were tempted to align themselves with who? Egypt, or anybody that would help, really. But Egypt in particular, and that made perfect sense. Made sense to align themselves with Egypt, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of philosophy. Um, but Isaiah told King Hezekiah not to. said that the Lord is saying just repent or just depend on the Lord, trust in the Lord. So verse 6 says, Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So it appears that both God... And the Rabshakeh knew that Egypt could not provide the protection and deliverance that Jerusalem needed. But, verse 7, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, it is not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. So the Rabshakeh is trying to anticipate the response that he's going to get from them or might be their response, and he shows ignorance really in the way that God is worshipped. He knew that King Hezekiah instituted these major reforms. Part of that was taking down the false places of worship, taking down what was called the high places, as we read through this. And those high places weren't all worship places of false gods. Some of them were set up for convenience. And rather than worship in the temple, people could go there and worship independently, Um, But that was not at all what God desired. In fact, it's strictly forbidden in the book of Leviticus. Um, They were to come to the temple and they were to worship corporately. It's the same that we see in the New Testament. We're not to forsake the gathering together of the saints, but we're supposed to gather together like we are tonight and we are to stir up love in one another and stir up good works according to the book of Hebrews. So this is what King Hezekiah did, was obey the Lord and require that the people not worship wherever they felt like it. Can't just be me and God in a mountain or something. He wants us to gather, um, assemble together, here in particular in the temple of God. So verse 8 says, Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able to put your riders on them. So 
trash, talk, trash talking is not a new thing. That's basically what he's doing here. He's saying, okay, we're going to war. I'm going to come in and take you over. In fact, you know what? To even it out, I'll give you 2,000 horses. You don't even have men to put them on. Put on them. That would be a total wipeout, wouldn't it? Anyways, how then will you repel one captain of it, the least of my master's servants, and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Talk about the pinnacle of blasphemy. This terrorist is coming and said, oh, no, you're God. Talk to me. And he said, come in here and wipe you out, destroy you. So verse 11 says, Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So if you can imagine, Jerusalem has a wall, has a border to protect their city, and the enemy is approaching, and this terrorist basically is threatening and saying what he's going to do. And the leaders, Hezekiah's leaders, are gathered there conversing with him, and the people are all gathered around. And they want to know what's happening. They're actually sitting on the wall, and they can overhear this. So he says, please don't, don't speak to me in our language. Speak to me in your language. We can understand your language, and it won't be in the hearing of all these people. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall? Do you think my king has sent me here just to talk to you? We want all the people to hear. Um, Who will eat and drink their own waste with you. Again, more trash talking. Um, King Hezekiah's men are trying to be reliant on the Lord and also follow the instructions of their king. So he's asking him, please talk in our own language, or in your language. He turns it up a notch, and he gives a prediction here of what's going to unfold. They're going to eat and drink their own waste with you, is what he says. And with the horrific things that the Assyrian army uh, and their warriors were known for, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this was a threat to force them to do these things, but... If you guys know anything about the type and style of warfare, what they did back then, we we see a lot of references in the Old Testament to a city coming under siege. And and basically what that was, was cities were walled for protection from outside forces. And then what the enemy would do is surround that city. And they would prevent people from coming in and they would prevent people from going out. And basically what that did was stop the supply chain. So goods and services couldn't come in and food and supplies couldn't come in. And I'm sure they had some conspiracy theorists back then too that were bunker dwellers and stockpilers and all that. But eventually, those, those supplies all run out, right? After, after a city is under siege for six months or a year or, or two years or however long the supplies would last, that's actually what they would do. Uh, if, if you think Old Testament, the ministry of Elisha, there was a great famine in the land, and, and the word talks about um, mothers being so desperate and so hungry, eating a child, or selling a donkey's head or pigeon's dung for silver, exchanging that for silver. So any kind of nourishment they could get, that's how bad things were. So I think that's really 
what he's referencing to is that type of warfare. You're going to go under, under siege, and then this will actually sound good to you. So verse 13 says, Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew, so in the, the language of the people, hear the, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. So saying to the people, don't listen to your leader. Don't let your leader lie to you, for he will not be able to deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Don't believe him. Don't follow him. Don't listen to him about following the Lord. The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria, mocking what Hezekiah would say to them. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. Don't trust your godly leader. Just come out and pay me some taxes. Right? Just come out and um, pay tribute to me. I'm your new government coming in. You can trust me. I'm here to help. Um, pay me and then you can come out and work in your own fields. Uh, every one of you in his, his own fig tree. Every one of you drink of his own cistern. Until, verse 17, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. It'll be just as nice, just like this. A land of grain and new wine, a land of bread in vineyards. You guys remember probably one of the tactics of the Assyrians, one of the things they were famous for in their warfare was the displacement or the, the repopulation of people. When they came in to conquer a city or came in to conquer a nation, they would take the people of that place and move them to another place. And they would take people from another place and put them in the old place with their leaders. Any idea why they would do that? somebody came in here and tried to take over, you people would be like a united animal unit, right? An attack. You'd come together, you know each other, you can anticipate each other's moves. But if you were to take this group and move them to Greenbush, say, and you were to take this group and move them to Orlando, and you were to take this group and move them to Egypt, you know, you're, you're, there's new people, and there's, you guys know where Greenbush is, right? there's new people, there's a new land, there's new laws, there's new rules, there's new customs, there's new food, all of that stuff, everything's different. So it's harder for people or those groups to alliance together and become a legitimate threat. So it's probably a pretty wise tactic, but that's what he's saying. I'm just going to move you to a new land. It just, so pay me tribute, wait, and then this is what I'm going to do. Send you to new vineyards, um, And that's how it'll be. Verse 18, beware lest Hezekiah persuade you. So again, this warning against their godly leader. Uh, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Remember one of the tactics terrorists have used against the United States is fear. You know, when they started doing these isolated units and isolated strikes, they made much of, a fear, uh, of America after 9-11 feel like it could happen in Old Town, Maine. Or they could blow up our mall. Do we still have a mall in, in Bangor? They could blow up that big building that should be used for the homeless. But it, it could happen anywhere. 
was, was their whole tactic, that fear would control us. So that's the idea here, is he's saying this stuff, and he's speaking directly against what Isaiah and their godly king is saying, but then he starts laying out a case or evidence and saying, hey, all these other folks, they appealed to their God. They turned in prayer and asked for deliverance from their God, and has any of them helped them? Has anyone survived the king of Assyria? So quite a bold statement to say the, the Lord won't deliver you. And as we'll see, pride goeth before the fall. Uh, verse 19 says, Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphirium? Indeed, they have delivered, indeed have they delivered Samaria from my hand. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? No one else has. Why would you think Jerusalem would be delivered? But they had held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, then Eliakim the son of Hilkah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. What does that mean, their clothes were torn? Why would they do that? Warning, right? This is going to be bad. So they're mourning. They're mourning. For, uh, chapter 37 says, And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. So he hears it. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Rips his clothes too. He's mourning puts on some Mitchy burlap or whatever sackcloth is exactly to, to make himself more miserable in this. But I want you to see what King Hezekiah does. I love his response here, actually throughout this chapter. And this should always be our response when we face tribulation. Verse 2 says, Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. So again, I want you to understand what's going on. They're seeking the counsel of the Lord. That's why they went to the prophet. That, that was the one who spoke forth for God. So they're seeking the counsel of the Lord. But in the last sentence here you can see that things are getting real Uh, the siege the effects of the siege are starting to happen so there there are those ladies that are with but um my batteries are starving Uh, there's these ladies that are with child and the effects are taking place and they they don't have the strength to deliver the children they're that weak they're that anemic or whatever. Their, their bodies are no longer strong enough to do that. I might have some, Andy. Verse 4 says, It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words with which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So there's tribulation, there's mourning, they're scared, They're terrified, so they turn to God. Isaiah, um, Hezekiah goes to Isaiah, pray. You know, we need your help. 
prophet pray, ask God to help this little remnant of his people that remains. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed So one, it's put in perspective. Like, all these horrible things haven't happened yet. So far, you're afraid of words. I mean, some of it appears to have started because of the comment about the, the women, but it does change our perspective. We fear things that oftentimes aren't real yet and may never become real. So I just, I think that's interesting. Don't be afraid of the words that you've heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely, verse 7, I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So God answers and says, don't worry about the words. Don't worry about what this bird says. I'm going to return him to his own land and he's going to die there. Really huge change in circumstances there right? Verse 8 says, Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warning or wearing against Libna, for he had heard that he had departed from uh, Lashish. Then the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. So he's hearing this rumor. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you. Saying, so first, don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't hear his warnings. Now he's saying, don't listen to your God. Don't listen to the Lord. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you. Saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered. So some truth in that. Right? These things have happened, just as he says, but he's saying something is going to happen that's not going to happen. So they're being attacked with fear. That's, that's the weapon that's being used here. So verse 12 says, Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my father have destroyed? Who my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezpa and the people of Eden who were in Telassar, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Seravam, Hena and Eva? So just overwhelming them with fear. It's, it's a tactic that still, it's a tactic our military uses with loud music and lights and all kinds of stuff. Hezekiah, chapter 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. So he's there, threats are made. God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to turn him around. He's going to hear a rumor. He's going back to his land and he's going to die. And then Hezekiah gets this letter, this threat. And he he goes into the house of the Lord. He goes into the temple and it literally says he spreads it out. He lays it out before the Lord. What an awesome thing. Right? How, how often do we do that? There's a tribulation or a trial that comes into our life and we just go into the house of the Lord or go, go before the Lord and we just completely lay it out before him and say, Lord, this is, this is what I'm facing and I don't know what to do. Or Lord, this is what I'm facing and this is unsurvivable in, in my 
perspective and my understanding of what's possible and what's not possible. But you're God. So I'm going to lay this out before you. So again, tribulation starts. This leader seeks a word from the Lord first. Um, Now he gets this threat in the form of a letter and he goes into the house of the Lord, completely lays it out. Um, We can take heed from this. We can take counsel from this. Uh, to not have our first response be worry and fear, to not have our first response be to try to figure out our own way of deliverance and our own strength and our own resources, our own knowledge, but to turn it over completely to the Lord. Um, not seek the counsel of friends or not seek the counsel of our imaginary friends on social media, but lay it out before the Lord. Verse 15 says, Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone, all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So you can, can you see truth um, changing both perspective and perception here? I talked about the enemy laying out some, some truth, some facts, all these other nations have fallen. All these other peoples cried out to their God and none of their gods helped. That can be pretty intimidating. That can make you fearful. But then he, he starts saying before the Lord the things that he knows to be true. Oh wait, they weren't crying out to any God really because there's one God. This is something that we need to do today when we talk to other people when they say, well, I cry out to God or I talk to God because a lot of different people have the name God attached to false gods. You know, ones that aren't real, ones that don't exist. So you alone are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms on the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So Hezekiah acknowledges God, acknowledges that he's the only living and true God, no matter what the other nations say or the terrorists coming against them are saying he's seeking the one and only true and living God. So verse 17 says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Shennacherib, uh, which he has sent to reproach the living God. So again, he's, he's laying this out before the Lord, and he's saying, please listen to me, hear and see. Um, Shennacherib sent a message, and some of it's true, the things that he said. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their land. They've wiped everybody out and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, uh, but were the work of men's hands. They were just wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, our Lord and God, save us from this hand, his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. That's not manipulating God, but that's an awful good tactic. Lord, you, you alone are God. Will you do this? Will you deliver that all the nations will know that you are the only living and true God? You alone are awesome, God. I've got a real problem here, and we need your help. And it'll testify to everyone around us that you are God. Verse 21, then Isaiah, the son of Amaz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed, 
to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. So to, to the king of Assyria, our little girls here despise you and laugh at you. So he's kind of giving it back to him here. Uh, verse 23, whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel. You don't know who you're messing with. By your servants, you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest height to the fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times that I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. He goes on, verse 27, Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herbs, as the grass on the housetops and the grain blighted before it's grown, withered and started to fade from from the bright sun. But I know your dwelling place, your going out and your coming in, and your rage against me. Listen to this, verse 29. Because your rage against me and your torment have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. I think God doesn't know what's going on on the face of this earth. That was one of the things the Assyrian warriors were famous for, right? Putting hooks in the faces of their captives and bridles in their mouths and tugging them around like that as they repopulated them to different places. And God said, you guys think you're mad at my people or you want to take this city, but I'm the one you're coming against. So I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and turn you back the way that you came. So again, what they're famous for, the the evil that they dished out, God's going to return as judgment to them um, and turn them back from attacking Israel. Verse 30, um, now to Hezekiah, the prophecy changed, no longer talking to the Assyrians, but now talking to Hezekiah. This shall be a sign for you. Uh, You shall eat this year, such as grows of itself, and the second year, what springs of the same, Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. This is how you'll know this is really going to happen. Instead of believing your eyes, or instead of believing your ears and the threats that you've seen and the things you perceive, here's how you're going to know what I'm saying is true. Um, Then I'm going to deliver you from your enemy. Then I'm going to restore your land. Verse 31, And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again Take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow here. So the king of Assyria made all these threats, has all these plans. He won't come into the city. 
He's not going to shoot a single arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city, says the Lord. Um, For I will defend the city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So what an awesome response to a prayer pleading to the Lord for help. Just laying out the problem before God. And when I read things like this, I kind of wonder what my response, what my level of faith would be if I was King Hezekiah in these circumstances. Because we read it now thousands of years later and it all seems pretty clear. Well, maybe if you've studied it all week, I don't know. Instead of just having it rambled through to you. But this terrorist invader comes to the border of your city and has defeated every enemy around you and outnumbers you by thousands. It actually is offered to give you 2,000 horses, but you know what he said is true and you don't have the men to put on those horses. You don't have that many soldiers. And, and your women are so weak that they can't even complete the birth. They can't deliver the children. So how strong would my faith be in his shoes even after receiving a promise from God, when I can see what I can see and I can hear what I can hear and the threat is the only thing that seems real. You know, would I by faith just accept these words of the Lord? Because we have tremendous promises of the Lord, but yet fear captivates us oftentimes. And we have promises of the Lord and, and we can do all of these things, same things and, and the Lord asks us to lay these problems at his feet, but how strong is our faith? So let's see how God delivers. Perhaps this will encourage our faith tonight. Verse 36 in the same chapter, it says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000, and when people arose early in the morning, they were all corpses, all were dead. When the people of Jerusalem arose, obviously the dead bodies didn't wake up dead. Um, but they were all dead. 185,000 from a single angel went out because the Lord said that it would happen. So Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Nineveh being the capital city of Assyria. But he split just exactly as God said. And all the soldiers were killed. Chapter 38 says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. What a bummer. Huh? Imagine that prophecy. You just get this awesome prophecy from Isaiah, then, then you hear this. Same prophet that you know just prophesied truth comes and tells you to get things ready because you're going to die. And if there's any confusion, it says, and you're not going to live. This is what's going to happen. So verse 2, then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. Again, the right response, right? Immediately 
turned to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. Hey, I'm one of the good kings here. Um, You've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. So sometime, not now, I don't have time in five minutes, but let's talk about what prayer does. And does prayer change God? God says he's unchanging, but we'll talk about that. Uh, He says, I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city, and this is a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Can you imagine the confusion at this point? Because the same prophet that just prophesied truth comes and says, boy, you're going to die. Get things ready. Make sure things are right with the Lord because you're going to die and you're not going to live for clarity. And then he cries out to the Lord and a message comes and says, you're not going to die. Wouldn't you be walking on eggshells, <laughs> wondering what, what's it going to be? When's it going to happen? But God says, look, I understand my people. I understand what that's like. So I'm going to give you some things so you'll know um, that this thing isn't going to happen. Behold, I'll bring the shadow on the sundial, which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial, but which it had gone down. How in the world no idea. There's all kinds of explanations for it. Nobody knows. But that's what the Lord did. It was like, sun's going down, stop. And not just like a longer day, but backwards a little bit. Okay, I believe you. You know, that doesn't happen. None of us have ever seen that. But it happened. So God hears his prayer. He answers his prayer. Then he says, I'm going to do this thing so you'll know, so you're not waiting to die any second. God's plan, guys, is always the best for us. You know, we've talked about God's perfect will for us and God's permissive will. Sometimes he lets us do the non-perfect thing and kind of get away with it, but it's not always the best thing. Hezekiah's life is an example of that. These last 15 years were not super profitable in his life. In fact, his son... Manasseh, the king that ruled after him, was a wicked king, was an evil king. And when we read in the scriptures, it says that he began to reign at 12 years old. So we we know that he was born in these latter 15 years. God's plan is always better for us. So verse 9, this is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. So this is not an example of positive confession. Um... In fact, I hope I don't bum you out by reading it. But Verse 10 says, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I'm deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah, the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. Remember Sunday's teaching, we're supposed to be joyful people. He wasn't at this point. Um, He cuts me off from the loom from a day until night. You make an end of me. I've considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones from day until night. You make an end of me like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. So he's saying I, I went on and on and on like this all night. 
didn't stop. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He has spoken to me. He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back, for Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth, the living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The Father shall make known your truth to your children, the Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of your life in the house of the Lord. So there you have the psalm of Hezekiah. Um, finally, at the end, uh, a proper response. Praise to the Lord for saving him. And we see at the end of our chapter here that God actually does heal him, gives him these additional 15 years. And I think it's interesting to note that God apparently chooses to heal him through a medical procedure. Um, Certainly have the capacity to just heal, but verse 21 says, Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultress on the boil, and he shall recover. And Hezekiah had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So, um, very short chapter, eight verses, hang with me. Chapter 39, so that we can be in the salvation and comfort section next time we gather in Isaiah. So verse 1, at that time, Merodach Baladan. Really, I just wanted to say that, Merodach Baladan. The son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and recovered. Uh, Another bad thing about this additional 15 years that he was given. More bad news, this miraculous recovery that he pleaded with the Lord for. Verse 2 says, And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold. This is very unwise, by the way. Don't open up your safe and show all your guests what you got. Um, The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. You guys know a lot about Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered and said, They've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace through all my days. Talk about being (laughs) self-centered. 
Wow. So Hezekiah started well and was a godly king that finished poorly. His heart was not centered on others, um, but only himself in the end. His, his judgment is pronounced on him by the Lord. He pronounces relief that the harm won't come to him, just his kids, right? At least there will be peace and truth in my days. So sad, sad ending to his life, which is why we must continue to abide in the Lord and remain in fellowship with each other. You guys did well. Grace and peace.